as we are returning to our series of Encountering Jesus in John chapter 9 this morning. No fancy bulletin handout, no fancy blending of text, just in chapter 9. That's where we are. Uh, our encounter with Jesus today centers less on the actions of Jesus. In fact, for most of the story, he's absent. He's absent for most of the story in John chapter 9. Rather, this centers on how people respond to Jesus how they react to him, and how they still respond to him today. How people think about Jesus. That's really the focus of our story in John chapter 9, encountering Jesus with a blind man. We begin John chapter 9, 1 through 7, read for us a moment ago. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Interesting to note, why are those the only two options? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva. Kind of a gross thing, really, in the story. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. At the heart of this story, two real main things in the story. One, a doctrinal dispute, a way of looking at the world, right? The question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why are those the only two options? And it really belies a way of thinking about suffering and difficulty and struggle in the world as connected in the book of Job. We see this connection between what people think is suffering and sin, that only sin would lead to this suffering. Of course, Jesus is going to say that's, that's not it, right? It's not only those two options, but this is the way they look at the world, and it's going to inform most of the debate throughout the story. And so at the heart of the story, additionally, is an unusual kind of miracle. We know that Jesus had the power to just heal the man. Why make mud anoint his eyes, and make him go wash. Why did he do that? It's a weird thing. He didn't have to do it. It's not like he's bound by certain mechanics of miraculous power. In other stories, it doesn't have to be present. He just says, your, your son is healed, or the demon is gone, and lo and behold, it is, even at hundreds of miles of distance. So why does Jesus do this? And more than that, the miracle becomes obvious away from Jesus. That is, Jesus is not even present when people realize a miracle has occurred. He's somewhere else. Why did Jesus do it this way? And we could ask more broadly, again, at the heart of this story, why do some miracles seem to depend on the faith of the healed? We looked at last week, right? The, the man comes to the disciples and, and Jesus is not there. And they ask, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And Jesus says, you didn't have enough faith. Why is it sometimes that the miracle depends on the healer and sometimes on the healed? Because a lot of times Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Because of your faith, I'm doing this for you. What's the difference between those two things? We keep reading in John chapter 9, verse 8. After the miracle, of course, he's healed. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And, and I don't know, you think about the scenario here. Presumably, he's been in this town for a while. He's born blind, right? So he's never really been a part of normal society. And, and presumably, he had developed, like, this is where this guy sits. It's, I don't know, Craig. Let's call him Craig. Craig, this is where Craig sits. He begs here. We've known this for his whole life. He's been here his whole life. Th this is the guy. Isn't this the guy? Isn't this Craig? How is Craig seeing? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, he's like him. No, this isn't Craig. This just looks like Craig. This, this can't be Craig. Craig is blind. 
he kept saying, I am the man, I am, I'm, I'm saying Craig, I don't know if it's Craig, it's obviously not Craig, I am Craig, I'm the guy, I was the guy that was begging at this corner every day for the last 20 years, that's me. So they said to him, how then were your eyes opened? How can you see? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And that's an obvious next question, right? Okay, Jesus healed me. Okay, well, where is Jesus? I don't know. Weird part of the story. Jesus has vanished. Where is he gone? We don't know. He's not around. And so now what is left is for the people whose Jesus, who Jesus has touched, the life that he has affected, what's left is the people to remain to figure out what this means. What does this mean? Jesus did this thing and then he left and now Craig can see. What does this mean? How do we respond to this? And again, that's going to be the heart of the story, how people respond to Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus usually tied miracles to some teaching. Why didn't he stick around to teach? We're going to see towards the end of the story, of course, where this comes into play. But it's interesting that Jesus lets this go for a little bit. See how people respond before I come in and tell the truth. Now, people begin to rationalize or minimize the miracle almost immediately. The first thing is, well, that can't be Craig, right? That's not the guy. Obviously, that's not him. He can see. Craig couldn't see. And this encounter more than any other, not any other, more than many others, is about blindness. Of course, the man is born blind, the physical blindness. But deeper in the story is this idea of spiritual or mental blindness, willful blindness, un, uh, inability or unwillingness to see what is right in front of us. And these people who knew Craig their whole lives, they could not see or would not want to see that something amazing has happened. They begin immediately. Well, it couldn't have been the miracle. It couldn't have been that. It has to be something else. Willfully blind to the truth that is in front of them. Now, some of them, perhaps, as we go through this argumentation and this debate that's going to happen, some of them probably change their minds. Oh, yeah, Jesus. We should definitely listen to Jesus. But some of them persist in their blindness, despite the power that is on display. Verse 13. They brought the, to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And that's important, right? We've seen this a number of times throughout the stories of Jesus, centered on the Sabbath. We talked about in our Bible class this morning, the importance of the traditions of God versus the traditions of men and how we confuse the two and how these come into play. Here, of course, we understand the Sabbath is a command, right? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. What became a dispute or a problem is exactly how you interpret that idea. We're going to have a day of rest, no work. What qualifies as work? When is work allowed? And this is a lot of this, the, the center of, of what Jesus is teaching and doing. Here again, he's opened his eyes on the Sabbath. The Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes. He, said, he has to tell the story a bunch of times here because nobody believes him. Because it's a ridiculous story. Of course nobody believes him. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. Is there a better example of willful blindness than this sentence? Jesus, who has healed and cast out demons and done miracle after miracle after miracle, but he did it on the Sabbath, so he must not be from God. To be so willfully blind. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? That's beginning to open their eyes, beginning to see, asking the right questions. 
Well, yeah, he, maybe he didn't keep the Sabbath. Maybe there's a debate or a confusion about what that means. But how could he be a sinner? He did this thing. He does these things. There's got to be something going on here. There was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Pretty good default answer. The man doesn't know, of course, all the extent of who Jesus is, right? And Jesus is going to come to him later and explain who he is. But if you're just thinking first level interpretation, Jesus did this thing. Well, he's got to be a prophet. He's got to be from God in some way. Pretty good response for not having all the facts. Here again, though, signs of a faulty worldview, mistaken assumptions. He does not keep the Sabbath. They're, they're thinking about the wrong things. They're focused on the wrong things. Their worldview is flawed. And that flaw keeps them from seeing the truth. How people respond to Jesus and his followers, even today, is as much as anything else a function of how we view the world. Our preconceptions, our assumptions, our biases affect how we respond to Jesus. And when we are unwilling to alter our worldview based on new information, we metastasize into this willful blindness inability to see what is right there in front of us. That's as true today as it was back then. When people think about and understand and come to realize the truth of Jesus, we have two options. We either change how we think to fit into this new reality that Jesus offers, or we persist in being blind because we are not willing to change. And the power of Jesus on display in the miracle made that guy see he is not going to make you see. He's going to allow you to make your decision about whether you will continue to be blind or not. And it's interesting. We'll see this as we go through the story. Verse 18. The Jews did not believe he had been blind and had received his sight. Second rationalization. Okay, first one. Well, it must not be Craig. Second rationalization. Well, Craig's been lying the whole time. Clearly he hasn't been blind this whole time. There's some sort of other thing going on here. Because again, they're unwilling to change what they understand to fit the truth that's in front of them. So rationalize it away. Ah, it's just he wasn't blind. So they called the parents of this man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? Notice the way they phrase that. Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. How we see is we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. Let's pass the buck along here. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. Kind of calls to mind the thesis statement of Romans. We did Romans, or doing Romans in our Thursday night study, if you want to join us in that. What is the thesis of Romans? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed. They're maybe not ashamed, but they are afraid. This is another way we stay willfully blind. Fear blinds us, keeps us, from seeing the truth. In the case of the parents, it was fear of the Jews, fear of the Pharisees, fear of being put out of the synagogue, fear of having their lives upended if they were to admit what I think they definitely know to be true. 
They know this is their son. They know now he sees. They know he's been blind this whole time. They know that Jesus did it. And it's their fear that keeps them from at least admitting the truth. Now, maybe they do believe it in their hearts, and maybe they come to it later. I don't know. It's impossible to say. We're not given. I'd like to hope that as this has gone on, the parents eventually realize their need to openly and unashamedly confess Jesus. Hopefully they did. But here, at least, fear is a little bit preventing them from being blind. Again, at the heart of this encounter is a lesson on spiritual blindness. Are we willing to open our eyes and see the truth? And what do we let get in the way? Fear of those in authority. That's the Pharisees. There's also another fear. Fear of social rejection, right? That's what being put out of the synagogue would be. They would not be able to be associating with other Jews in the same way. Fear of change. And I think that's what's at the heart of the Pharisees. Fear that if we admit this guy is who he says he is, he's going to change the way things are. He's going to remove our power, remove our authority. He's going to have authority. And he's going to change the traditions that we have built up that make us comfortable, that give us some sort of purpose or sense of value. He's going to remove all that, alter it all, and we will be exposed for who we are. Now, for most people, that's not the case. I want to be clear about this. That's only probably a few select Pharisees at the top who have that level of awareness. It takes a lot of self-awareness to realize that I don't want to accept Jesus because I don't want to change. That's not how most people are. Most people, it's fear of others. It's a nebulous sort of unwillingness to change or accept. But what is it for you? I don't know. What's getting in the way of your blindness, your being able to see who Jesus is? Hopefully it's nothing. Hopefully we're going to be like the man who realizes the truth here. And what if the man had not obeyed Jesus? An, an unusual thing in the story here. How did Jesus expect him to obey? Wasn't he blind? Puts mud on the guy's eyes. Hey, go wash in this pool. Uh, how do I get to that pool, Jesus? I can't see. Uh, how am I supposed to get there? Jesus doesn't have... There's no interaction about that at all. Now, maybe it's not in the text. Maybe there's some something else that goes on. But obviously, he did whatever it took to go to that pool and wash and do that thing. Now, I don't exactly know. We don't, we're having to infer some stuff here. Maybe he has friends. He's like, hey, guys, can you help me get to this pool? Jesus said for me to go to that pool. Maybe ask strangers. Maybe he goes with Jesus. Again, we're having to infer some stuff here, make some interpretive calls. Ultimately, in the text, it's unknown. All that matters in the text is Jesus has an expectation for this guy, and he's either going to do it or he's not. And again, we come to our own blindness that Jesus has offered evidence upon evidence, reason upon reason, why we should believe in him. But at the end of the day, he's going to leave it up to us. Are we going to do what's necessary to see the truth, to accept his truth? Or are we going to let other things get in the way? The man had a good excuse. Hey, Jesus, I can't get to that pool. I'm blind. He does not let that excuse get in the way. Jesus said to do this thing. I'm going to do this thing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. And he does. He makes it happen. Oh, to be like that man who would not let very real excuses get in the way of doing what Jesus asked him to do. And what are we willing to do to follow Jesus? Ultimately, what prevented the Pharisees from seeing that truth? We've speculated a bit. Here we come to see a little bit more of it in John 9, 24. 
For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. We know it. A couple of ways they could have known that. One is this interpretation of the Sabbath. Maybe it's just they're making a general statement philosophically. Everybody's a sinner, so obviously this guy's a sinner. I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they're really thinking about the Sabbath idea here. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I know, I was blind and now I see. And really, that's all that matters to the guy. That's all that matters to Craig. I don't know anything about Jesus other than that I was blind and now I see. And really, who cares about the rest? This guy, Jesus, is powerful. And his power is unlike anything I've ever experienced. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already and you would not listen. You are willfully blind. Now he doesn't say that, but that's what we see in the story, right? When you want, uh, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And a little bit uh, dig at them, right? He's, uh, he, I think he's being a little sarcastic here, obviously. He knows they don't want to be his disciples. So he's, he's needling them. Ah, you want to hear it again? You want to be his disciples? And of course, no, they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. We keep reading, the man answered, well, this is an amazing thing. I kind of like Craig. I like his attitude. I like his sarcasm. This is so amazing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We don't know. Uh, we know that God uh, does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. This is the heart of one who would be a disciple. And in fact, they already say, you're a disciple of him. I don't know that he is yet, necessarily. He's clearly made some decisions about Jesus, about who he is. And the Pharisees recognize he's willing to accept what Jesus has to say. But he really gets to the heart of the matter here, right? Whatever else you want to say about Jesus, about all the stuff, that, that all the interpretation of doctrine and tradition and all those things, this has never happened before. I was born blind and now I see. Whatever else you want to say, he's got power. And it's evidenced by what happened. And I'm willing to admit that that may mean something. That's the guy, right? Craig is willing to admit that that might mean something. Something significant, something important, something valuable. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And you would teach us? They cast him out. Unwilling to listen. Remember the question that began the encounter here. Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? The Pharisees have really answered that question here, right? You were born in sin. Now, maybe it was you, maybe it was Craig. They ultimately don't matter. You are blind because you are sinful. And therefore, because you are sinful, your word cannot be trusted. Even though they can see the evidence right in front of them of this amazing miracle, they can see right in front of them that Jesus is something special, but they are unwilling to see it. There are those who are blind through no fault of their own, circumstances of birth, circumstances of life, who have never heard the gospel, who have never heard the truth, and they are blind, not because they are willfully blind, just because they don't know, but then there are those who are in a much worse state, who know the truth, who've heard what's real, who know what God wants, and they persist in being blind because they do not want to accept. And my earnest prayer, my, my sincerest hope, is that we will not be in that group. 
that when we hear and encounter the truth, when we encounter Jesus, we will be like the man who is willing to accept something has changed. Something must change. Now, Jesus does eventually circle back around. And we think about the story, the miracles, usually connected to some sort of teaching. Jesus comes back, verse 35. Jesus heard they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? He doesn't really know who Jesus is yet. He knows Jesus is special, knows he's a prophet, doesn't really have all the truth. Uh, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. Well, duh, I believe. You just healed me. I was born blind. He worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see. Little play on words here. Double meaning. Literally, you couldn't see and now you see. But also, I think about people like Zacchaeus. I think about people like the woman caught in adultery. People who were outcasts, who did not know the truth, who did not see, but now they see when they encounter Jesus. And those who see may become blind. That would be the Pharisees, right? Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. If you were like Craig, you didn't know about me, but then you encountered me and now you've accepted it. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Everyone's arguing over the miracle. What does it mean? Who is Craig? What is, this, what is Jesus doing? Is it okay? He did it on the Sabbath. Was it really a miracle? But Jesus already taught the important part way back at the beginning. The part that kept the Pharisees in their guilt. Verse 3, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. We must work the works of him who sent me. It's interesting. The name of the pool that he sent the guy to, Siloam, which means what? Sent. I sent you here, do this thing. The man did it. He did the works. There's a lot of play on words in this story. It wasn't a work that earned his, his sight, right? We understand that. The sight did not happen because he was so great and obeyed. The sight happened because Jesus is powerful. Jesus, as the purveyor of that power, put a stipulation on it. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man did it. He did the work. More generally, Jesus then says, we must work the works of him who sent me. I sent you to the pool, but one has sent me. The Father has sent me, and we have things that we need to be doing. When Jesus called his followers the light of the world, that was emulating Jesus. You are the light of the world, just like Jesus is the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. The Pharisees knew, or maybe we should say should have known, the good works to do. They had the law. They had even the traditions. They had all this built up. But they had chosen to remain blind by inaction and hardness of heart. And if we're thinking about in today, who compares with who in the story? Most of the people in this room, not everybody, most of the people in this room would be much more analogous to the Pharisees. People who have grown up, not everybody here, I understand that, but a lot of people here, you've grown up with the truth. You've known it from early childhood. And the question is, what are you doing with that? Others in this room are more like Craig, 
You came to it later in life. And when you heard the truth, you realized its significance. You encountered Jesus and you decided to change. And I'm, I'm so thankful that you did that. But for a lot of us, the danger is, I think I know the truth. I think I know it's right. Definitely. Oh, I absolutely know it's right. But we fail to see the need for change right in front of us. And we become like the Pharisees with hard hearts, unwilling to see the things that we need to do. And so the encouragement as we conclude is simple, right? Wherever you are, I don't know your history, your past, wherever you are currently in your journey. As you encounter Jesus, you're confronted with who he is, his power, his majesty, his authority. Open your eyes. See the truth. Be willing to change and work the works of him who sent Jesus.